your holy word. We ask that you would speak. Holy Spirit, would you teach us? Would you speak to us? Through your word and your word alone. We need your help. We need your words. We ask that you speak to us now, Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 will be in verse 2, and I'll read through verse 13 for us. If you didn't bring your own copy of God's Word, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew there in front of you. If you don't own your own copy of God's Word, please feel free to take that one from the back of the pew in front of you and keep it as our gift to you. We'd be happy to replenish it before next week. But whether you're accessing the Word of the Lord in a digital format or in print, however you may be accessing the Word of the Lord, I would ask, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's Holy Word? I'll read for us from 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll begin in verse 2. I'll read through verse 13 when I've completed. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you are grateful for it, I encourage you to respond by saying thanks be to God. The word of the Lord says, Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts. To die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, But because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. But also what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness might for us 
for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We come to this portion of Paul's letter, the second letter that we have to the Corinthian church. In Paul's first letter, he's very harsh to the Corinthians. They've been living and and doing what they believe they can do to serve the Lord. They've been trying to be gracious. They've been trying to be merciful. But in the process, they have gone down a road that is sinful. They have gone down a road of allowing sin and permitting sin They've gone down a very ungodly path in their effort to be godly and to to be righteous. And so either that letter or another letter that was not saved and preserved for the purposes of Scripture is what Paul is referring to here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He speaks of how this letter grieved the church at Corinth. And he is, he's upset that it grieved them. Because that wasn't his intent. His intent was to correct them. His intent was to help them get back on a path of righteousness. His intent was to help correct their course. And what Paul meant with that first letter is is something we read about in the Old Testament. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. We read that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Psalm 141, verse 5. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. These two passages in the Old Testament are what we see happening in 2 Corinthians. And to be honest with you, it's it's what I've been dealing with for the last week. Every year, the new year comes and it's a marker. It's, It's, hey, now I have a chance. This is a new calendar year. We've turned the page. I'm going to make a resolution. And so often we make these simple, worldly resolutions. I... I need to lose a little bit more weight. We we need to do a little bit better job with our budgeting. We need to do a little bit better job with our saving. We need to do a little bit better with our finances. We need to do better in our relationships. We we need to be better husbands, better wives. We we need to do better in school. We need to do better at work. We we set ourselves these, these goals, but they're not necessarily goals that are inspired by God. They're not necessarily goals that are out of a godly grief that has stricken us. It is more out of, I should be better than who I am right now. And so as, as I have thought through that, and as I've thought through those resolutions, um, I received this week, in, in the words from a friend, and then from multiple friends, and then from family members, and those that I love and respect, I received those wounds of a friend. And I was, I was stricken by righteous men and women 
It was a kindness that they showed me. And people have been trying to tell me for years that I, I have this flaw about me, especially when it comes to preaching and, and speaking regularly. And if I'm honest with you guys and completely transparent, I don't know that I've ever been more nervous to stand behind any pulpit, even when I started in ministry, because this has rocked me so deeply. But people have been telling me for years about the way that I preach and things and aspects in the way that I preach that are disrespectful, that are inappropriate, that are shameful, that are not honoring to the Lord. It goes all the way back to the very first time I ever stood behind a pulpit in my home church as a 16-year-old punk teenager trying to give a testimony to my home church. I said a word that wasn't a cuss word by any stretch of the imagination, but it was a word that would be considered inappropriate. It was another way to say something is terrible, and it's just common vernacular, and it's part of my everyday language, and I used it in that testimony. And that happens over and over and over again from behind this pulpit. And this past week, I have had to wrestle with the fact that that is true. That is not coming from someone who is petty. That is not coming from someone who is snobby or stuck up. That is not someone who is trying to just criticize me or harm me or someone who stylistically does not appreciate what I bring to the table when I present the word of the Lord. But I thought back to all the times that I've, I've vacuumed the stage I've sprayed for breeze. I've stood on that table where we take the Lord's Supper. Flipped over a table. Even my very first sermon, my trial sermon here, I climbed down and acted like it was a casket and, and tried to jump over that casket. And I just hope that you all understand and that you all know from the depths of my soul that I never intended to be inappropriate. I never intended to cause harm to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know that it's New Year's, and I know that everybody makes these silly promises, and everybody makes these big statements, but I want you to know the Lord and I have been wrestling real hard this week. It's been a hard week in my heart and my soul. And these friends of mine who love me are very right. And I have spent countless hours apologizing to the Lord for how flippantly I have approached his pulpit and his word with silly voices, with silly gestures, with language that's inappropriate to be spoken from this stage. And with all that I have within me, I just want to offer to you, my church, my family, my friends, the deepest apologies that I can offer. And I hope that you know that I've had godly grief. And this godly grief has led to repentance. We talked about it with the kids this morning. I'm so sorry. Heather came down with COVID, so she couldn't teach the kids, so I... I stepped in for her, and Philip very graciously stepped in for me in the fellowship center. Um, and we were just talking about how 
When you get baptized, you repent and you turn. And it was another time that the Lord was reminding me that this is the right course. Because on the week that he put it on my heart that I need to preach this and need to lay this bare before you, it was the week that Heather got COVID and I had to teach a different lesson that was about what the meaning of repentance is. It does no good to say you're sorry over and over and over again and keep doing the same thing. That helps no one. And if we apologize and continue doing the same actions, then we are not sorry in our hearts. There is no repentance. There is no godly grief for us to turn from our actions. Because that's all that repentance is. It is I was going this way and now I am turning and going this way. And what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is that he wrote a harsh letter to the church at Corinth. He was bold. He was fierce. He told them the truth in love. And they were angry and hurt and upset. But they knew it was the truth. And it caused them to grieve. Not a selfish grief but a godly grief that led to them turning from their ways and making the corrections that Paul pointed out to them. And I hope and I pray that that's what's happening this week and what is happening in my heart and in the life of our church. And I hope that this godly grief is leading to genuine repentance in my heart because I do not want to approach this stage, this pulpit, or God's Word so carelessly going forward. There are things that should not be made into jokes. There are matters that are serious matters. There are things that are to be respected and revered. There is a reverence to the task that I have been given. And as I have thought and prayed back and and reviewed so many sermons at this church, at Westmont, When I was in preaching classes, when I gave testimonies at my home church, the one thing that is consistent is so often people coming to me and telling me, Nathan, I can't believe you said that. Nathan, I can't believe you did that. Fill in the blank, whatever it may be. And no matter how many times I said, you know what, you're right, that's inappropriate. I shouldn't do that. And I'd do better for a a short spell, and then I'd fall right back into the same habit. And I want you to know that I needed to say this and put this out there in front of you because I I need your help holding myself accountable to treat this pulpit and to treat this task with more respect and with the reverence that it deserves. And I do not want to profane the name or the word of our Lord God Almighty in any way, shape, or form. And to each and every one of you, I am sorry for the way that I have been preaching Sorry for so many things that have been so disrespectful. But I want you to know that the Lord has shown me. And I am at work with a lot of progress left to go. I am a sinner saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. No better than anyone in this room. And I'm sorry. But I didn't want to leave us there. This is what the Lord's been working on in my heart. But maybe there's something the Lord's been working on in your heart. 
And I need to say this today because it's what you need to hear. And the Lord's been pricking your heart the same way he's been pricking mine. Maybe there's that something in your life that you've been denying. That for years people have been trying to point out to you and show you your blind spot. Like people have been kindly trying to show me mine. Maybe today can be the day that we both see our blind spots together. And we repent together. And we strive to make things new. And as we strive to make things new, I want to remind us that there is great hope in newness. There is great hope for the year to come. And there is great hope that one day all of these struggles, all of these trials, all of these tribulations... All of these failures, all of these flaws, all of these sins, and this entire sin-cursed world will be behind us. That even though I am grieved and even though I have failed, I have a Savior who died on the cross for my failures. I have a Jesus who called me into ministry knowing how foolish and ridiculous I would be. Knowing the mistakes that I would make and knowing the mockery that I would make of his word and his pulpit. And he called me anyway, in spite of me. And there have been people that have come to know Jesus in spite of my stupidity. In spite of my insufficiency as a preacher and as a pastor. And if God can use a knucklehead like me to bring people to know him, to work in spite of my blind spots... To slowly show me my blind spots, to help me to repent of my failures, he can do the exact same for you. And so I can't answer for you, and I don't know what you're wrestling with in your soul, or maybe what you need to be wrestling with in your soul. But I can tell you, our God is a loving Father, and his goodness is running after us. If we would just see it. His forgiveness is available to us. First John chapter one, verse nine says, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. I can't tell you how many times I've had to quote that verse to myself this week. But I want you to know that Jesus died on the cross so that that verse could be written so that that verse could be true for me and for you. That if we are faithful to confess our sins, he will, con- he will forgive us of all unrighteousness. And for those who trust in him, for those who plead for that, who plead for that forgiveness, for that mercy, there is forgiveness available. And there will one day come a day when there is no more need to struggle with sin. There is no more need to have any sort of failures or flaws or mistakes. There's coming a day where he's going to do away with this sin-cursed world. If you've still got your Bibles, turn with me to one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Word of the Lord says, 
as John saw this revelation and recorded it for us. Then I, the Apostle John, saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Godly grief leads to repentance, and repentance gives us hope that we will be part of this new creation, this new heaven, this new earth. And all the cancer diagnoses, and all of the Alzheimer's, and the dementia, and all the death, and all the divorce, and all the loss, and all the pain, and all the suffering, and all the hardship, and all the strife, and all the trials, and all the failures, and all the flaws, and all the mistakes, and all the sin, and all the sadness, will be no more for those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. For all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If we have godly grief that leads to repentance, we can hope that whether 2023 is a better year or a worse year than 2022, we have a constant, never-ending, never-failing, never-changing hope that lays before us. We don't look forward to 2023 and hope that here on earth 2023 will be a better year. We look forward to the day that God will make all things new. That He will make every sad thing that has ever existed to be untrue. We don't look to a calendar to help us feel better about ourselves or track whether or not we've lost enough weight or we act better at school or we do better at our jobs or we work out more or we study more or we sleep less or we get up earlier. We look forward to the day where there is no more sun and we don't have to worry about when we get up anymore because God himself will be the light for all of existence. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. We will have resurrected bodies that are free, completely free from sin, from lust, from temptation, from lying, from murderous thoughts, from hate, from any evil deeds, from jealousy, from all of it. We will have a new heaven, a new earth, and God will dwell in our midst in a way that we have never experienced before. And so as January is upon us, as 2023 is now here, don't look to this calendar to make things better. Look to Jesus and pray He comes back soon. Because no matter how hard I work, no matter how hard I try, I'm never going to be good enough. No matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you try, you're never going to be good enough. All we can do is throw ourselves at the mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and look forward to the day that He pardons us of all of our sin and says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. And so this new year, I don't 
encourage us from Scripture to make any sort of resolution that builds your hope for this world for tomorrow. But let us be resolved to repent and to trust in Jesus and pray for his return and pray that it might be swift. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for the wounds of friends. We thank you for grief that comes from you, that leads us to repent and to turn and to change. Father, I know I've said it privately, but I just I want to say again to you and in front of all my brothers and sisters that I am sorry for the way that I have treated your word and your pulpit. Lord, help us to look forward to the hope that we have in that new heaven, in that new earth, where there will be no need for preachers to preach, because we will simply listen to you, and you will dwell with us, and we will be sinless. Lord, we yearn for and long for that day. Would you come, Lord Jesus? Would you hasten the day? Help us, Lord, not to make flimsy New Year's resolutions about temporary things in this world, but help us to be resolved to find our hope and our trust and our faith in you and in you alone. Would you move among us now as we give time to respond to your word? Father, would you help us to respond in obedience as your Spirit moves among us? We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.